Hey there, Matt here. Before we get started, just want to let you know that we will be sprinkling some book knowledge into our podcast. Don't worry, they will not spoil any aspect of the story. They're just more supplementary. However, if you're a person who absolutely hates book reader knowledge in your TV talk, then this podcast probably isn't for you. Also, we're sorry. Anyway, here's the podcast. Hope you enjoy. Dedicated to George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series. As an over-the-top radio announcer. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Do you want to go first, Kelly, or you want me to? And the HBO Game of Thrones franchises. Tyrion is really bringing that last chorus home, baby. It's holding at number four on the Hot 100 here on 97.3, The Storm. The Storm. The Storm. The Storm. You're listening to Before the Dragon. Don't tell me what to do. Do, 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 do. Welcome to Before the Dragon Podcast, still your 52,164th favorite podcast with the name House of the Dragon in it, even though our podcast doesn't have the name House of the Dragon in it. Either way, that's where we rank. You decide as to why. Maybe it's a comment on me and my quality. Maybe not. But I'm giving you an opportunity to decide for yourself because today, Kelly did a thing. She made a video. She made a really nice presentation. I hope you will give it a watch. It was a little bit long to include in the podcast, the single podcast that I was planning on doing this week, but it's really good. So watch it, comment on it, and we'll hope that you stick with us for the finale next week. Don't forget, you can send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. You can tweet to at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter, or you can comment on the website, mattsaudioblog.com, or on YouTube videos. We have a YouTube channel. Search for the word before the Dragon Podcast. Leave comments on Kelly's video, which you will also get in audio form, in audio podcast form. Uh, some of the things, the visuals help, though. So you might want to check out the YouTube. Anyway, this is the last you'll hear from me. Think of that. You don't have to hear my voice anymore in this podcast. Here's Kelly. Take it away, Kelly. Hey there, Kelly here. Since we weren't able to get together this week, I just wanted to share my thoughts on the episode, and I'm definitely just going to start right off um, with Maylee's The Red Queen. It was so good to see her. Um, her wings were huge, and you know I love the physics of big dragon wings. Um, her entrance through the floor of the dragon pit, and then out squeezing through the doorway um, to freedom um, with your girl, the queen who never was on her back. It was just perfect and uh, breathtaking. And I, that scene alone made this a 9 out of 10 for me. It was all spectacle, um, but there was a lot of substance to this episode. So in spite of how glorious this, uh, these particular shots were, um, <laughs> um, and they were, um, I think there was a lot of substance to you. Um, but man... When you walk away from an episode and that's what you remember, like that's that was it for me. So nine out of ten, this episode was great. I loved it. <laughs> um, one of the questions I had about this episode started with this kid that we saw as he came out of Viserys's room right at the beginning, and we did see his face a few times, but mostly it was just this blonde hair, and it could just be that he was a you know a producer's kid or or you know a writer's nephew um, that they threw into the scene here. But I don't know, something about the fact that they just kept uh, the camera on the back of his head so much and he's blonde. And I don't know, maybe 
maybe this is one of Aegon's early bastards. Maybe the first kid he had out of woodlock. And um, I, I, I like the idea that, that, you know, since it was an oopsie, they gave him this place in the castle as a page. Um, but, you know, that definitely doesn't last very long for all of his other uh, offspring. So, I don't know, maybe uh, he just lucked out. Um, but he definitely had some nice boots and a nice little uh uniform um the camera had this way of focusing on his hair even though it was like behind um some objects in the kitchen and it was kind of obscuring his face but you definitely could still see this blonde hair so i don't know that was just my theory um, we did see him later um as he was being corralled with the rest of the uh, servants and talia into the dungeon so i don't know maybe we'll see that kid later that's just my thought on him uh, the next thing I remember having to go back and rewatch and I wanted to share with you guys was this scene of uh, Talia as she's um, intercut with Alicent and Otto and they're um, they're talking, but it keeps showing her um, doing things that look like, you know, maybe Lady in Waiting would do. But um, it's actually her moving a chair or a stool or something from uh, the Queen's chamber into just right in front of the window and I saw later in the episode that stool is right behind Helena um, and when you see later that she's lighting the candles it's this specific candelabra that's also in the shot with Helena that you can see is definitely not right in front of the window it's further back so the fact that she specifically Talia picks up the candelabra puts it in front of the window in order to light it I think Putting all those um, shots together for me made it seem like, okay, this is definitely her lighting a signal um, in the window, not her just going about her, um, you know, handmaiden uh, leading waiting duties. So she lights these seven candles, and you can see the light all the way across Kingsland. So your girl's definitely sending a message to someone. Um, and as did not expect a laugh this early in the episode or at something so um, just dark. But um, <laughs> Lannister, sure enough, uh, provided some uh, brevity, and I appreciated that. So, you know, he sits down and he just says, Why, what couldn't have waited an hour? Uh, was Dorne invaded? Uh, I, thought, I thought that was funny. So um, everyone just kind of looks at him. <laughs> so there you go, Matt. There's some brevity in the episode. No. I'm going to include that for you. Because the rest of the scene is so tense. And so I, I appreciated it starting with some brevity that it gets to Allison, who realizes that everyone around her is already like has a plan in play, except for Beastberry, um, in order to make Aegon the king and to put the crown on his head. As soon as Viserys dies, they have this plan that's going into action. So, um, I'm confused as to why she's confused because she seems way more surprised than you would expect. Um, considering if we go back uh, to what was it? Episode six. Um, she's grabbing Aegon's face and yelling at him. And she says, you are the King's firstborn son. And what they know, what everyone in the realm knows in their blood and in their bones is that one day you will be our King. She seemed really adamant back then. So why is she surprised right now that 
that's what everyone's doing. <laughs> um, I guess she would have expected to be uh, included in those plans, and uh, she has been left out. Um, whether that was done, you know, behind her back or uh, to keep her safe, they kind of play it off like they want to keep her safe. But yeah, they they definitely know they're being naughty because Allison just gave them the nugget uh, about um, Viserys on his deathbed wanting Aegon to be king. So really up until now they've been doing this against Viserys's wishes so they know they're being naughty and sure enough they say my queen there was no need to sully you with darkling schemes so they know they're being naughty they're all hypocrites and Allison being surprised is slightly confusing to me but I guess uh she didn't realize how uh conniving they all were which is pretty naive of her uh, what did bring this episode down for me instead of it being a 10 was this Beastberry death. So Beastberry, um, good on him. He's not been doing well. Um, he's been kind of the butt of some jokes and at least on, on screen. Um, and unfortunately his death was just pretty profound. It was, uh, it was kind of a dud for me. It just happened and, um, no ceremony about it. I was looking forward to that scene and it was kind of, um, didn't do anything for me there, but uh, what did do something for me here was Sir Westerling. So he's not here in the books, so that everything he does is is a gift <laughs> to show watchers. So because he's great, and um, you see in the beginning, like he's just trying to be an honorable, dutiful Lord Commander of the King's Guard. Um, but as soon as Sir Kristen obviously does this horrible thing of killing Beastberry, he pulls out his sword and tries to apprehend uh, Sir Kristen, but Alicent calm them down so of course lord commander is going to follow instructions um you know it's him again Kristen, and they've got this shot of Kristen with the seven pointed star behind him and he's looking all righteous and uh, i just kind of feel like it's more of his uh self-righteousness coming through here and he thinks he's in the right but i would just i would argue that the uh show watchers would say that westerling is obviously the honorable one here um but he goes, you know, he calms down and he, you know, stands back to uh, position. But as the conversation progresses, like you just see wrestling get more and more uncomfortable about uh, this plan to take Rhaenyra and maybe imprison her, maybe kill her. Like this is not going um, in a direction he likes, um, because if you think back to episode one, um, before he was Lord Commander, he was. Rhaenyra's uh, sworn sword. He was um, her protector, and uh, that was before he was made Lord Commander. So you know, even when she was little, like he was, um, he was her guy. So um, this is not going to sit well with him, uh, <laughs> as we see. Uh, earlier, Sir Otto had said the door remains shut until we finish our business, but Sir Westerling's having none of that, and your boy is out, and he takes off his cloak, and he's out of there, and this. Uh, definitely reminded me of Sir Barristan um, from Game of Thrones season one. He's, even now, I could cut through the five of you like carving a cake. Uh, and he just throws down his King's Guard gear and storms out of there. So I like the uh, comparison between the two. And if uh, they're going to go off book with Westerling here, I like that they're making him a sell me character because I know that there's been some complaints in the fandom about there being a lack of a Ned character or um, your honor-bound uh, Stannis characters uh, that we can pretty much, you know, righteously get behind. Um, so, yeah, that's that's going to be Westerling. I 
Uh, we did get some information from the small council about who might the allies be and who might the enemies be. Um, Otto said, let ravens be sent to our allies. River Run and High Garden. Peter Lannister says that Storm's End is of concern. Um, so that's some factions to be looking out for. And then we get the Helena scene. So anytime Helena starts talking, you know you gotta start paying attention. Um, and uh, Joe Magician actually has a pretty good uh, analysis about how when dialogue starts um, from the next scene uh, in the shot from the previous scene, um, the implications on the character analysis there. And it's it's it happens here, so I'd recommend listening to anything he's got on the matter. Uh, hopefully, he has something about this scene here because uh, they did it, and I thought of him. <laughs> Um, so Princess uh, Helena says, it is our fate, I think, to crave always what is given to another. Um, and then it cuts to Helena, where it previously was still on Alicent. And Helena continues, if one possesses a thing, the other will take it away. Um, and the shot with Helena has her two kids on the floor. And it kind of seems maybe if you're being obtuse that it's um, she's talking about the kids or maybe that's how the um, the servant here is that's sitting with the children takes it. Um as that she's talking about the kids wanting to play with something and take something away. But I think we can apply this um, observation of Helena's to some characters in the episode. So we've got Eamon, who's sulking around all episode, wishing he could be king. And then you've got Kristen, who um, kind of empathizes with him and says, I know what it is to toil for what others are freely given. Um, so they kind of have this uh, craving that uh, uh, Helena is um, referring to. Um, we also have uh, Rainey's and Allison's have a moment where they're talking in Rainey's chamber and they have this craving for the power of men. And Allison has taken accepted her role and Rainey's is, you know, struggling to, you know, control her role. And uh, they both have this craving for the power that is just freely given to men in their world. And then there's Laris, <laughs> who has a craving for two healthy feet, I suppose, <laughs> if you want to apply it. Uh, two healthy feet, freely given to Alicent and Laris Craves. <laughs> Sorry. Um, more with Helena, though. More, more prophecy goodness. Um, we did have her needle pointing um, an insect, some kind of spider, it looked like. Um, and my theory on the reason that she's doing this is more about the location where she is sitting. So later in the episode, that's exactly where Laris is sitting um, in his encounter with Alicent. Um, and you can tell um, that's like the exact same spot. If you look at like the wall feature and the uh, candle holders on the table in front of them, like it is just precisely where she is sitting is where um, Laris is sitting. Um, and, you know, the spider could be applying to him. Uh, however, he's the one speaking of a spider. Um, in that scene, he says, There is a web of spies at work in the Red Keep. Along its threads travels news of all our doings. Your father knows this, but has left it in place. More than once, it has proved advantageous to those willing to feed the weaver. So he's talking about a spider. It could be the spider is him. I don't know. The spider could be... Um, the white worm, I don't know, because he's talking about the white worm there. So, um, but that's, I think, more about that conversation and Helena being able to perceive what's going on there. Um, we do get another, the, there's a beast beneath the boards call out. Um, 
which is going back to the previous episode. She said that more softly at the dinner table. She said that when Jace finished his toast and Eamon had just stood up and it was a little bit of a tense moment. Um, so maybe it had something to do with Eamon and his anger or um, something to do with Viserys because in the scene where she says that this episode, Eamon is about to walk in um, and it was just after Alicent was about to tell her that Viserys had died. So it could have something to do with either of those, um, those two gentlemen or something completely different. <laughs> A lot of people are thinking it's the beast beneath the boards was Maley's, um, but it definitely wasn't wooden boards uh, at the dais, so we'll see. The bulk of the episode is about uh, this cat and mouse game, this chase where's Aegon, and I liked it because it had this uh, competition really between Alicent and Otto. Um, it showed the fracturing of the greens pretty well, and um, we could see that play out. Otto uses his authority, uh, telling Sir Eric to go and find Aegon. Um, and he says to, to Sir Eric, none can know who you are and what you seek, including the queen. Bring him to me and me alone, Sir Eric. And you get a mirroring scene of Alison saying this to Sir Kristen, Aegon must be found and he must be brought to me. Everything you feel for me, dot, 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 as your queen. <laughs> and Sir Kristen says, I will not fail you. <laughs> so Otto using his authority, Allison using her feminine wiles, uh, getting the job done. <laughs> There's this great scene in the throne room um, where you get the houses, uh, I guess, that were nearby enough to uh, be collected. Um, and we had this gentleman um, who refused to bend the knee. He says, I am no oath breaker. Um, and we doesn't say what house he's from, but if you zoom in on his medallion, it is a cornucopia horn. And just because I'm a Game of Thrones nerd and a Song of Ice and Fire aficionado, I knew off the top of my head that this is Lord Merriweather. I definitely didn't go to IMDb and scroll to the bottom and then see a... <laughs> character name I didn't recognize, look him up, confirm on a wiki of ice and fire that this is the same character from A Dance of Dragons, uh, the um, uh, short story. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, I, I might have done that. Um, House Merryweather of Longtable. Their sigil is a golden horn of plenty spilling out apples, carrots, plums, onions, leeks, turnips, and fruits of many colors. George loves his food. <laughs> and um, that's the uh, the sigil. So good on the uh, costume department for uh, for getting that right on the head. Um, House Merriweather of Longtable are from the Reach, so it's interesting that uh, they considered Highgarden to be on their team. Whereas we can see here, not all of the uh, vassal houses might be on board. The other house that was present at the um, throne room kneeling ceremony here. This woman from House Fell, Lady Fell, uh, she outright says her name so we can tell who she is. I didn't see anything noteworthy on her earrings or necklace, but she is kind of a green color. And uh, House Fell has a sigil of um, a white crescent moon on a black field above a green field and a spruce tree line between. House Fell of Fellwood is um, from the Stormlands, so we could have anticipated that uh, she would have been reluctant to join Team Aegon because of what uh, Lannister said earlier about uh, Storm's End might be a problem. Uh, 
The other face we recognize here uh, is Lord Caswell, who hesitates before taking a knee, um, and his sigil should have been a yellow centaur with bow on white. This is House Caswell of Bitterbridge. Um, they are also from the Reach. Um, again, more vassal houses, uh, maybe a little rebellion um, among the vassal lords. So unfortunately, we never got to see Lord Caswell's sigil been cool. Uh, we saw what happened to him later uh, as Rainey's and uh, Sir Eric were escaping. Very sad. Rip Lord Caswell. No longer shall he uh, haunt the hall in front of the doors of the gates and waiting for Rhaenyra to show up. <laughs> this episode also gave us some inf more information that we did not want to know about Aegon. Just how deep his uh, barrel is as he... Uh, scrapes it with all of his depravity. Um, we learned that his tastes are known to be less discriminating than the Street of Silk. Uh, so we follow Aemond and Sir Christian all the way down to Flea Bottom, uh, where we also follow uh, the Cargyle twins. And they notice uh, that the Aegon Bastard is just left out on the floor. Um, Sir Eric and Sir Eric <laughs> are also starting to fracture over this. Um, they don't seem to see eye to eye on where their honor uh, keeps them, whether they should remain loyal to this degenerate that they are sworn to, or if their honor is, um, or if their oaths are uh, flexible to let them um, leave his uh, charge because he is not honorable himself. Another funny scene um, to me, maybe not too uh, intentionally so, but there was a scene after Lord Cas Caswell was brought out of the uh, hall after he got tried to escape to go warn Rhaenyra, and um, he's brought to Sir Otto, and Sir Otto tells him that he deserves the king's judgment, and off he goes. Uh, just as Lord Larys is about to follow him out, uh, Sir Otto says to Larys, You've spent many hours with the Queen of late. And Lyra stops and turns around and just says to, to Otto, there's no reason those hours could not in the end benefit you. In the first watch, this was kind of ominous and the camera just cuts away. Um, but then after watching the episode uh, to see where Lyra's and Allison's stories lead them, um, we saw Allison paid the Tootsie price for uh, Lyra's information. I wonder if Sarah paid the Tootsie price. <laughs> and I got a chuckle out of picturing Sir Otto taking off his boots for Solaris. <laughs> There's a scene where Alicent is um, standing in the window with her back to Viserys's body as the Silent Sisters are doing their work, and it seems like Alicent is maintaining the superstition to not look upon them. Um, and I just thought the uh, shot with her in the window with the light was very, very beautiful. And then you juxtapose that shot with the shot of Viserys' body. And just to think that, you know, 24 hours ago, he was having dinner with his family and this was how he looked. Oh, poor guy. Um, just eye gone, cheek hollowed out. And it was, uh, compared to the visual of Alicent in the window, um, the horror and the beauty, I guess. I was uh, moved by that. Um, and the sound sisters doing their work as they leave um i found it interesting the couple of shots of alicent picking up the crown viserys's crown as it was apparently on the side table next to the valerian steel dagger um she places the crown on viserys's body and then you get this overhead shot where it looks like viserys's bed used to be in this spot um but the sound sisters have done something to the 
the bed is gone and he's on like a slab and there's a bunch of stuff on the floor. And I was um, curious about this, if this was part of the Silent Sisters ritual, if this was just what was under Viserys' bed. Um, I don't know. I found this um, this shot interesting. And just to see also how oval the crown was. Um, and yeah, she just leaves the crown there on Viserys' body. Curious. Uh, the scene with Alicent and Rainey's was awesome because I have been watching like Alicent's progression through this episode as she seems to become stronger and stronger. And in this uh, scene, you actually get, I think, a pretty good indication that she is smarter than I thought, at least. Um, she says to Rainey's that leaving the Lady of Driftmark to chart her course alone, and she's referring to Corliss leaving her alone. And that's exactly what Rainey's had to explain to Renee era in the previous episode about how the greens are going to strike their blow uh they'll force rhaenyra to her knees but rainies will have to stand alone and the fact that allison just picked up on that on her own kind of tells you that there's she's intuitive and i think she she understands rainies position um I don't think she was being manipulative, but she really had Rainey's number here, um, telling her, you know, you should have been queen. And um, but then she kind of jumped, you know, once two steps forward, one step back for Allison because Rainey's has her number two, and uh, she calls Allison out as trying to fix the system from within. Uh, you have no desire to be free, but to make a window in the wall of your prison. Um, yeah, she calls her out like you're not trying to you know, make big changes, you know, you're just trying to steer the ship from the back. And that's a terrible analogy, because that's how you steer a ship. But <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Another character who grew this episode was Lady Myceria, the white worm, Lady Misery. She um, actually had some motivation reveal here, we get to see that she um, it's not that she hates kids. Yes, she's prevented herself from ever having children, but it doesn't mean she doesn't like children or she doesn't care for them. Um, here, we definitely see her evolving more into the Varys character. Um, she wants to stop the mistreatment of children in Flea Bottom, and Otto says he'll look into it. And I also found it interesting that we see a little bit more of her neck in this um, scene with auto because it's a closer up and you can see she's got this scar along her um, neck that she leaves exposed um perhaps by choice perhaps she just is used to it um but yeah like this um this show has done a really good job of maintaining uh scarring i know damon had a scar on his shoulder from when he got shot with an arrow in the stepstones uh fire arrow and uh i might have noticed it during the beach scene when he had his top off <laughs> Um, but yeah, they're really good about maintaining these scars and they add to the character, I think. And maybe she's got a backstory to that or that's just there to imply to us that she has these um, traumas. Uh, like we heard all all the time. We heard about Varys' um, trauma that we could not see. So um, going the opposite direction by showing instead of telling that Zarya um, has trauma that uh, we can see, but we don't uh, we don't get the story on that. She also has this line where she says, I could have killed him, Aegon, as easily as a wasp on fruit, which recall, recalling the um, spider analogy that uh, Laris was using earlier about um, Otto's network. Uh, not sure if this is more evidence that she's the spider in Helena's um, needlepoint or if it's Laris, but killing a, an insect is very spider-like, I thought. 
Uh, her kind of storyline of this episode ends fairly darkly, where uh, Laris has one of his henchmen uh, put on his murder cowl, and you can tell it's a different murder cowl because he's got a pin or a little uh, clasp of the uh, firefly bug um, at his neck. Um, so no no ordinary uh, murder cowl for uh, Laris's boys. Um, and in case you didn't recognize the man's, it's same one from the previous episode where Italia was uh, running off to uh, inform Miss um, Area of the goings ons at the uh, at the castle, and we get the conclusion of the uh, Allison and Otto uh, back and forth here, and I, I like that Allison comes out on top. She um, she has she got Aegon before Otto. Um, interestingly, though, uh, Otto seems to be gaslighting her here. Um, he tells her, well played. She says, none of this is a game. And he says, well, you played it as one. Uh, a charming contest, the prize, a pouch of silver. I'm not sure why he's saying that she's treating it that way, whereas literally in the last scene, you had Otto giving a pouch of silver to Myceria for information. Like, that was him. <laughs> Either very confusing writing or Otto is uh, gaslighting Allison here. Um, but she still forges ahead and she calls him out and she says, you know, she's been a piece uh, for him to move about the board. Uh, she stands up to him and says that, you know, reluctance to murder is not a weakness. Um, she lays it down. She says, I have Aegon and they're going to proceed as she sees fit. Unfortunately for Alicent, uh, as per usual, two steps forward, one steps back. Um, her plan is for Aegon to take the crown of his namesake, the Conqueror, and to carry Blackfire his sword. Her reasoning is that this will let the people remember the ancient strength of House Targaryen. There's a shot later of Rhaenys in front of Balerion, the Black Dread, uh, his skull and his shrine. And this made me think of the moment when Viserys and Rhaenyra were down there and he asked her what she saw when she looked at the skull. And she said she sees their house. She sees them and their power. And that, together with what Alicent was planning and then the final scene, made me think maybe Alicent doesn't have a full grasp on what the power of House Targaryen really is. The rest of the episode was just spectacle galore. It was uh, beautiful, it was ominous in the carriage ride, it was tense and, and panicky with Rhaenys trying to get to the dragon pit, and um, finally it culminated with Otto, you know, announcing Aegon, and we weren't sure, you know, how the crowd was going to react, and he I don't know, for me, like, I'm anti-monarchy, you know, I'm, like, in real life, but dang, if he didn't look good, like, after 10 years of watching Viserys decay in front of them, um, to see this young king um, who looked like Aegon the Conqueror in front of them, like, yeah, like, I'm just a small folk, and there was a, <laughs> an extra in the crowd who had a bucket, and I just felt like, you know, my man was just trying to take his bucket home, <laughs> Or he was trying to go to his his bucket job, and he got corralled into the dragon pit and forced to watch this. But you know what? They made it worth it. Like his his uh, Aegon's coronation was was pretty grand, and they uh, the pageantry was great, and his he, I mean 
I hate him as a character, but he looked good. I gotta acknowledge it. And dang, <laughs> didn't want to see it, didn't want to love it, but it, there can't deny it. Um, interestingly, as all of these shots of Aegon getting crowned, um, Helena is eyeballing him like she just won't look away from him. Um, you have different characters looking at you know at various times, but Helena is just she is locked on, and. Aegon, uh, the crown is brought to him and she's just in every shot and the crown is put on his head and she's, whether she's in focus or not, she is watching. But then as soon as the crown hits his head, she looks away. And I just found that very interesting. We get a few shots of just various people looking at Aegon, but Helena just firmly not looking in his direction at all. Um, just, uh, being her weird little girl. <laughs> we love her. And Aegon stands up and everybody bows to him. You get Sir Kristen bows, um, Alicent bows, just these little head bows. Um, and then finally, Helena, you know, makes eye contact with him and does a little curtsy and then immediately looks away again. Just kind of curious what's going on in her mind. Maybe she sees, you know, what's about to come up <laughs> through the crowd in front of them. Um, and she's just ready for that to happen. She knew it would happen once the crown was on his head or who knows? But, yep, the, he raised that sword and the crowd went wild. And I think it started in the carriage with uh, Alicent when he saw the uh, Valyrian steel dagger from his father. And he started to kind of get on board because up until then, like, your boy was, <laughs> you know, kicking and screaming, being dragged to be uh, coordinated. But, yeah, once he saw that dagger, it became a little bit easier. He put a, one foot in front of the other. Uh, as soon as that crowd started hollering for him, you know, and he raised that sword, um, yeah, he looked, you know, the image of a young conqueror there. And um, you had Jaehaerys' throne behind them from Hall from the prologue. It was a pretty nice little bookend. Uh, the dais is definitely made out of stone, so, uh, but that is also not where Maelie's uh, bursted it through. So, yeah, still... Uh, um, unsure as to if the Melees was the beast beneath the boards, but your girl came through the ground. <laughs> Melees uh, and Rainies, they appeared. It was glorious. It was spectacle. Uh, and I think Alicent might have realized what the true power of the Targaryens are. And it's not a sword. It's not a crown. It's these dragons. Um, and uh, with uh, Melee's and Rainey's getting away, uh, Team Green is uh, short a dragon now. We'll see how it goes, but... Um, man. This was a good one, you guys. This was a good one. Um, thanks for letting me share my thoughts with you. Um, I uh, hope to be with you all next week. I'll leave you with uh, the image of uh, Rainey's looking down on Alicent and uh, letting her live today. <laughs>